Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue episode number 79. This interview recorded on October 21st, 2013 is with Richard Lucas and Ian Patterson, respectively Managing Director and Project Director at Discerning Digital, based in the UK. In this conversation, we discuss their experience in making the digital transformation at the Guardian Media Radio Group and what, the, what are the key learnings for companies today faced with the same shift. We also look at managing digital risk and infrastructure needs to support the digital transformation. Hope you'll enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, as we like to say. So, as Mitch Joel always says, tell us who you are and what you do. Hello, um, we are Discerning Digital. Uh, there are two of us on this call. My name is Richard Lucas. Um, my t- I'm, I'm the MD. We've got. Yeah, my name's Ian Patterson. I'm the Projects Director. Brilliant. And so tell us about, uh, tell us about Discerning Digital and how it came about. Okay, um, well, Discerning Digital, um, I would sum us up as a digital consultancy um, that primarily deals in practical digital transformation. We're focused really on the SME and mid-sized businesses. And in short, we're here to help businesses get fit for their digital purpose. Um, Really, I suppose, realizing their marketing goals is the outcome of that. All right. So that's cool. And, uh, you know, of course, we spoke a little bit before the interview, but tell us about the the origin of of Designing Digital and how it came to be formed. Okay, well, um, it, it's, it's really quite an interesting story from our point of view. It was um, born out of experience at, at the Guardian's um, GMG, that's called, which is Guardian Media Groups, um, had a, a division, which is a radio division, um, made up of 13 radio stations. And I suppose the, the, the story was that at the time, um, I was brought in as head of digital and the role really was um, to manage um, three different things that are happening at the same time. And I think that those could be, um, I, I suppose, summed up in increased expectations from a board and the exec level um, for their digital aspirations. Um, at the same time as having um, a really large increase of expectations um, from listeners. Um, so that the, the consumer side um, of a radio station was expecting us to deliver um, the experience outside of traditional analog radio, uh, and then the third area of that was was it was an increase as well from expectations from advertisers. So out of those three areas, um, there was a, a perfect storm, if you like, of, of increase in expectations from what digital can do for a radio group. One of the things I particularly like uh, about you guys and and why we're on this call together is is that you come from an operational background. And, you know, as, as we see these companies, brands trying to figure out the path through digital, you get a lot of consultants that come in that actually haven't had any real experience in operations to get through this malarkey. So they come out with lots of acronyms and, and weird, weird ideas, but then it doesn't, they just don't fly because they're not actually experienced in the notion of true transformation and the hiccups and the heartaches and the, the, the real challenges that come about with change in the company. 
Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons why we really do pride ourselves on the, on the practical side of uh, transformation. Because we found that most boards and most people, senior teams in businesses, obviously understand the, the need to modernise and take advantage of digital channels for the bigger picture. But they also get a lot of noise from mainstream uh, business press and news and the media about digital transformation. They've probably heard the phrase, um, but they don't really know how it can fit and gel and mould exactly for their configuration of business and the teams that they particularly have. So that's where we slot in, really, to help make sense of it all for particular organisations. I want to switch back to this notion of the increased expectations from the board, listeners, and advertisers, because... From the board, well, that in any company, that's your basically the comex that says, you know, bloody hell, we need to have more more dollars in this quarter. From yeah. the listeners, no, no, listen to me. <laughs> Let me tell you. So there's a reversal. Yeah. Uh, and the advertisers, tell us about the pressure of the advertisers. And then really in the bigger picture, how did you, you know, how were these expectations crisscrossed, uh, a paradoxical or, you know, how did you manage them? Well, <clears throat> I, I, we started off, it was an interesting one, you know, where do you start, which is the priority? Um, I always felt that the priority had to be with the listener. Um, the listener was driving change. Um, what was interesting for me was that the audience that we were dealing with, the listeners, weren't your classic, what you would say, people that were driving change at the time. Um, they were um, a really mainstream audience, um, but still they were absolutely expecting to have true dialogue um, with, uh, with, with their favourite presenters um, rather than um, intermittent conversation via text and more of a monologue. Um, so it was absolutely driven by, um, by listeners. So we just felt that if we could open up dialogue correctly um, and open up the channels, and then everything else would follow through it. Um, and then, so we, we, we called that really a kind of listener-led um, strategy. Um, and then we've moved on in, in, into how, how advertisers could benefit from that. But, well, what sort of pushback did, the, did you get from management? I mean, because their expectations yeah. were, you know, why, no, 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 we need to have less, co- less costs, more money. I mean, I'm going to guess that kind of a dialogue. Yeah. How, did, how did that jive with the listener pressure? Okay, well, I mean, first of all, um, from a radio business, is, 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 is two sides to it, obviously. There's an editorial side to it, um, which you'd call programming, um, and then there's um, a sales side of it, uh, matching the two up. I, I felt that, the, that there wasn't the same expectations from the people running the editorial side of it because, to be honest, at the time, they weren't necessarily having KPIs, um, that, that were digital KPIs. Um, they were really about analog KPIs, mm. about how many listeners per week rather than which platforms they were on. So they never really took it as seriously as they ought to have done perhaps um, mm. two years ago. Um, so um, a lot of our work there was working with the board to make sure that we had the right KPIs in place um, because digital listening uh, and digital revenues obviously were a much smaller fraction than they were on the analog side. So it was trying to balance up the future of, 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 of expectations and, and where the revenue is going to come from in the future and, and the listenership with the realities at the time. Yeah, I'd just add to that as well. In terms of a starting point, we really needed buy-in across the group. 
So we decided to, this was a big project we were about to embark on. We needed uh, cohesion between lots of different teams. As, as Richard mentioned, there was commercial pressures, listening pressures, quite big personalities in radio, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Uh, in programming teams, you've got the jocks, uh, presenters, all very opinionated. So we were getting uh, questions thrown from all quarters. Um, but what we needed to do was bring it all together. So in the early days, the very first thing that Rich and I did was talk about how we were going to deliver the project and get buy-in. So we um, decided to adopt an agile project methodology, um, which focused around bringing in stakeholders. So everybody felt that they had um, a part to play, although everybody, everybody had a defined remit to play. So people wore hats, we had regular meetings, um, everybody felt that they had input and everybody needed to sign off uh, particular aspects of the project. Right. So, I mean, just so I understand, you guys were on the digital side. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're, who was running this and, you know, under whose aegis was it being done? And, and what kinds of – who exactly were the roles that were being brought in? I mean, CMO, CEO, yeah. who? How is it going? Yeah, well, this is a good question. This is why, why, why I, I, I would say that we, we almost stumbled on a transformational job here, not realizing that that was actually what was required um, three years ago. Um, so it, it is a good question. We, we, we were driving it through the digital team, but we reported into the board um, via the commercial director um, and also um, it was very much driven for, for, from the CEO. Um, so you were reporting to the commercial director? We were reporting to the commercial director um, in that business. The digital team reported through that, as did marketing. Um, so did, uh, and, but actually, it was really being driven by the new CEO. I see. And when you had these meetings, uh, you had these projects, was it so at the beginning you had a big kickoff meeting? And who was in that meeting? Yeah. yeah, we certainly did. We needed to we need to go right back to the very beginning. So imagine speaking to people who had never delivered a big project before in a, in a large group. We needed to explain the context of how we were going to deliver the project, what the roles would be, how we would communicate, how we would ha- maintain um, continual collaboration and dialogue, which is why Agile is such a fantastic tool in this kind of situation. Um, and part of what we've actually carried through to our consultancy today is to work, to be honest, damn hard at humanizing technology. Mm-hmm. So there was never a, an aspect of the project that wasn't humanized and explained in plain English. So we always had a very brief summary, a paragraph that described every single aspect of the project that was being talked about today, no matter how technical it was. <laughs> I'd add to that as well. The actual people that were involved were um, representatives from marketing, from HR, from IT, uh, from the editorial side of the business, and from sales. PR as well. Actually. Yeah. PR and com. Excellent. And what about the advertisers? We, you know, we talked about the pressure from the board and the listeners. What, how, how did the advertisers uh, swing in this uh, trio? Advertisers... Um, Absolutely driving it, made from the national market, uh, wanting to um, engage uh, with their potential target audience, um, absolutely across mobile um, and and social as well. So it it was about offering a more rounded, holistic uh, offering um, to our advertisers, and they were were absolutely driving it. Did you... 
Yeah. Did you get a feeling that they were um, also trying to grab the listeners? I mean, because in the end of the day, the ownership of media is quite useful for distribution. And so, you know, you have a platform, it's a radio, you blast out your message, and then that, that message is called to action, and that goes to their Facebook page. How, how did you interface with them with regard to sort of sharing uh, that space, the er- earned space maybe? Were there any conversations around participation with advertisers on your Facebook page and things yeah, like this? Yeah, it, it was. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it's it quite a challenge um, to a certain extent because, for, from an editorial point of view, we, we absolutely wanted to have that conversation um, on the radio station's owned channels, mm-hmm. um, but it, it needed to be shared as well. So we would link to each other's and, and just uh, and go about it from a very much a one-to-one. Um, case by case scenario. It kind of depended on your relationship with the advertiser, I'm going to guess. Yeah, and the trust involved, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, we can give a, a practical example there, and this was something that was I was really conscious of right from the very beginning because we really were faced with, uh, I mean, we didn't want to chuck the baby out with the bathwater, if everybody's familiar with that phrase. Uh, we wanted to consider what was good in, in, the, uh, in the digital infrastructure, take the best of what we could. Now that's across everything, people, teams, systems, processes, uh, technology, um, best practice, all that, all that kind of thing. So we needed to consider what was available. But one practical execution of how we worked with um, advertisers was on the site, really. We allowed them to have up to 90% of the retail space on the, on, on the website. So that was allowing them to have all different kinds of configurations and options to effectively we call them takeovers, take mm-hmm. over the, um, the radio station websites. Now, we can give some examples and links uh, of those. Yeah, it'd be great. You just send me that afterwards, and I'll put them up on the show notes. Yeah. So, uh, Ian, you mentioned before Agile. Can you tell us about this? I mean, the other thing which I find fascinating about what you guys are up to at Discerning Digital is this notion of uh, platform needs and understanding the infrastructure that goes, you know, the baseline foundations of any of these digital programs. You yeah. talk, w- w- Agile is, what is the particular interest of Agile? But then also, can you just swoop into what, yeah. uh, what you're doing about, uh, eva- how do you evaluate infrastructure needs and, and, and so on? Yeah, uh, well, just to talk a little bit more about Agile, um, it was really the, the perfect um, way to deliver the project because, as most people will be familiar with if they've looked into Agile, the, the methodology behind it is continual collaboration. Now, we needed that really as a lever to keep everybody engaged, interested. And it was a tall order because digital to some aspects of, of businesses, let, let's be honest, most aspects, it, it can be quite uh, off-putting, technical, uh, boring. I've been in meetings with people when their eyes have glazed over. Um, and it's hard to keep their attention. Especially when you start talking tech, right? Yeah, yeah, which is really important. And we've been on a journey ourselves as a consultancy to divorce ourselves from uh, agency and tech speak to the detriment of people wondering whether you know, we know what we're talking about because we talk in plain English and we don't talk in tech. Uh, but there's a reason for that, and that's because you know, the people we're selling to and trying to work with don't understand uh, the, the so we want, we want to speak in a common business tongue, I suppose. Yeah. And that's important as part of the transformation project we did, the initial project. That was to humanize everything. So Agile gave us the construct to deliver that by uh, breaking everything down into small chunks 
um, working through a, a, a logical process flow. So literally five different banks of work, uh, new work that nobody's talk, talked about yet, work that's being planned, uh, work in progress and then done, then we can park the rest. So that enabled us to have uh, to celebrate successes and also to manage all of the work. I think uh, just to add to that, um, on that particular job, um, the visual aspect of Agile is really important. So we physically put up storyboards onto glass panes of uh, so that anybody could walk in, any stakeholder could walk into into our office and have a conversation um, about any aspect of the business. That was the challenge, to create a story on every part of quite a detailed project that so anybody had, could have a conversation about. So you had a physical uh, representation of, the, of what was going on as well as a digital one? Yes. Yeah, the day we put that up, <laughs> I think the office, which is probably about 30 people in the office, probably thought we'd gone crazy. <laughs> All of a sudden, the glass uh, panes to our office became rather bright with different coloured post-it notes. Oh, but that cool. was the point. It was a talking point. Yeah. Got people thinking something big was happening and they asked questions. Well, it all becomes, I suppose, to sort of abstract and digital, rather real and human. And uh, so I love this. I mean, you saw maybe that, the, that project by some companies using Lego pieces to... Yeah. Uh, to, to demonstrate where they are on their projects, or maybe it's a calendar or something. It's pretty cool. That's neat. So listen, when, when you guys are working now with your clients, mostly SMEs and so on, um, you go in and you, and you do a, a needs assessment. Can you talk us through that process? Because that, I think that's a fundamentally underviewed, unknown uh, area for most companies uh, outside of IT. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we do do... Uh, uh, kind of low contact audit so we go in and we do a quick scan we meet with all the important stakeholders and and we ask the obvious questions which is what are the pressure points for you at the moment and that's across all aspects of, uh, of digital and uh, now that's very uh, a big point to make here and to make it very clear because um, some businesses and some clients that we work with uh, fundamentally need to learn right from the off, the difference between digital and IT. So we get very involved in explaining where the lines start and stop between digital and IT. Well, in, and, in, in, illuminate me. Tell me, how do you dis distinguish between the one, I, digital and IT? Yeah, so um, digital really being uh, front of house and everything to do with uh, publishing and customer data, very much uh, based on, on the... Um, the outbound side of things, and then IT being very much back office, uh, personnel, staff, security, permissions, computers, procurement, that kind of thing. So it gives you two very different um, areas there. Now, they do intertwine at points. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> of course they do, uh, but everybody has a specialism, and ours is, is uh, That's great. really getting companies to understand uh, digital risk and digital opportunity associated with their digital uh, collateral um, and what we call their digital footprint, which is how big and broad they are across all different digital channels, whether that's email, social, web, search, mobile, data, that kind of thing. All right, so you just mentioned digital risk, which is a term that really strikes an ear for me. And I'm going to imagine that the, the people who you know, bring up the risk uh, alerts are going to be the legals, 
the CEO, perhaps um, CFO. How, how do you approach that when you go into a company? Um, well, th- this is the interesting thing for us. Digital risk has, has come up more and more with more businesses that we deal with in very different ways. Um, it comes up, firstly, um, from a financial point of view and then a reputational point of view. So um, in terms of financial implications, um, it, it, it depends on where we've come in, um, on the business life cycle of a business, I suppose. So an example could be risk associated with um, uh, a business that has an exit plan. For example, let's say uh, the business is looking to exit or the stakeholders are looking to exit in three to five years. Um, We've been brought in then to discuss um, customer data um, compliance um, and bring in the right suppliers at that point so that because the obvious thing that their business is going to be valued on that data mm-hmm. when they come to exit um, and the same thing for somebody that has bought a business um, and they're looking to scale up at that point um, that's where we look at it from a, an infrastructure point of view let's put the right infrastructure in that's going to last the amount of time that they're looking to so it's scalable to a certain point we absolutely believe in when is it good enough technology and it will last the the amount of time that it needs to last um, rather than being completely bulletproof. Um, And then, of course, there is risks associated on a more day-to-day level um, associated with digital projects. Um, I think, you know, we come in at it from a point of view of levelling the playing field for clients um, when they're dealing with digital projects. So a digital project at a basic level could be um, a whole new website, um, and everything else that goes with it. Um, an example of what we might do there is that, um, let's say, the key stakeholder or the driver of a new website has come from the board um, and they've asked that to be fulfilled through the marketing department as the key stakeholder. If that's the case, um, the traditional way would be that they might look for a handful of suppliers to, to, to deal with that. Um, when we look at it, I mean, we, we had a look at it earlier for clients and we realised that we might engage with 10 different aspects of digital in terms of suppliers from a development house, designers, somebody that's an expert in UX, social PR content, the list goes on, through site optimization, and generally don't believe that the solution um, is one supplier. Yeah, I, I think to add to that... Um Businesses are finding that digital is so intrinsic and important to their to their um, to their business really these days um, that they're finding that there isn't really many one size fits all agencies that can offer the breadth of everything that they need to do. Mm-hmm. So consultancies like ours are becoming more and more uh, in need, so that we can um, really work right players, with lots yeah. of different parties. Yeah. So uh, you, I mean. It, how do you quantify the risk? Is there, is there any evolution in this? Because, I mean, in the old days, we'd have a certain ability to evaluate the beta and the sort of that's financial risks associated with a, an activity. Are, are, you, is there, are we progressing along the lines of quantifying risk and uh, how to diminish the risk? Is, how, how, I mean, I think this is very frontier stuff. Mm. Uh, yeah, we do have a way of, uh, we, we, we quite simply traffic light risk. Um, so liaising with the right partners, we 
uh, bring in legal teams. Sometimes there needs to be more of a deep dive on data, just to look at things like opt-ins for data. Mm-hmm. And people are acquiring businesses and selling businesses, and you know, it was on an old kind of way of, of dealing online. People aren't even sure whether the data's opt-in or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet they're buying businesses with the promise of half a million data records, and you can't actually market them. So that's a great example of where there's risk. That's fantastic. Uh, with a business. Um, there's other examples. It's, it's not just legal and data. Um, digital PR, uh, allowing businesses to monitor their reputation. We set up alert services and use monitoring services so that companies know what's being said about their own brand across the web. Um, also, brand consistency. Uh, we work with... Uh, DAM, Digital Asset Management Services. So if there's an international group who need consistency across their brand, across the globe, there's one cloud-based system they can all log into and they can all share uh, branded assets that are consistent. Um, So that's another example of risk, just using the wrong wrong logo in the wrong format, in the wrong uh, territory. That makes loads of sense. Uh, Ian, I mean, I'm going to speak to you, but... Richard, you can chime in. Uh, how do you stay up to date with, I mean, the number of new things that are coming up? You mentioned the sort of, you know, uh, I, I can't remember the term you used, Richard, but enough, what, enough is enough or something that's kind of... When is it good enough? Yeah. When is it good enough was probably one, one of the phrases we coined through desperation, I think. <laughs> and uh, mm. we found that it, it stayed with us um, uh, and it's been it's been pivotal in everything we've done for our clients, really, because everything is based on not only the aspirations of what they want to achieve, but obviously money at the end of the day, budgets. So I think a lot of technical and IT and digital development people all get very excited about technology, capability, what can be achieved, and they forget some of the, the obvious things, which is how much the company is willing to spend. So... It's great having enthusiasm about digital, um, and it's great to let our clients know that we're enthusiastic and that it's our world, but never to the detriment of pushing that uh, over above and beyond what they actually need or what they're willing to pay for. Or, or what they're able to uh, manage. So we take the example of, of big data, social CRM, and say, oh, that's very exciting intellectually, I get it. Let's get the next biggest uh, database management system. Yeah, and let's have everything connected in. Mm-hmm. But they they forget the mindset. Yeah. So uh, just maybe as a in a, in a closing kind of way, what um what kind of insights would you have for someone listening, saying, listen, um, wow, I've never really thought about my platform requirements. Any any tips or or specific ideas you might have that would help them. Aside from calling you, of course, that's the obvious one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, to, to figuring out this this issue, um, I would say, um, firstly, from my point of view, um, it, it's just let, let, let's continue to focus on the outcomes of it, um, and that's what we really want to talk about um, first and foremost. Um, what KPIs do we want to achieve? Um, how can digital accelerate that? Um, always bringing it back and aligning it back to what you're trying to achieve as a business, um, and then we'll work backwards from there. Yeah, and from my side, it's not to get what we call geek out. <laughs> Don't geek out, get too excited about the technology, when actually um, you need to be practical. Um, so 
Rich and I have benefited quite a lot from both having quite diverse backgrounds. Um, we work together well because we have a constant, if you like, friction. Uh, I'm always coming from a digital, pure digital uh, background. And Richard thinks, as, he, as he's just said, very much from a business outcomes point of view. If we wouldn't have had that, um, that background and that relationship, I think the project would have been uh, failed in one way or another. So mm. great advice for companies is to, um, is to find the right, the right team and the right mix of skills to, to get the job done and see things from many different angles. Just to close on that, you know, when we talk about these business needs, I, I outcomes, I completely subscribe. And the the issue then is the vision, because let's say that I get into these meetings and we start talking about the budget, and then somehow miraculously the conversation comes down: How can I do my quarter? Or you know, how can I pull in this month? So what 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 is a sort of a beautiful idea of a three year plan? shortly ends into a you know, discussion of how we're going to finish the month, I just a little bit. So you know, let's say right now people are doing 2014's budget. We can then come up with a plan. Our outcome is we, we need to do plus 10%, 14% more uh, traffic, this and that, whatever those numbers might be. And then we need a platform for that. But that platform can be, will be scaled only to achieve that outcome as opposed to the longer-term outcome. And, of course, then afterwards – well, who knows what's going to happen in three years? Facebook may no longer exist. So that's uh, sort of that, that gap, which I was wondering, I wanted you to comment. Um, yeah, I, I'd agree. I mean, I think that they're just, um, we, we definitely face those, um, that exact point. Um, and my experience from dealing with the majority of boards of our clients is that they're still absolutely stuck in the quarter. And you're never too far away from that. Um, I, I think it's a case of, again, we're back to practicalities, looking at short-term wins uh, where we can show. I think accountability is really key in digital. Um, you can start to show quite quickly whether you're making progress. Mm. Um, and I think it's about breaking down the overall objectives of what you're trying to achieve in, into minute detail. So we can see that we're on the right track. We can see that we're, we're improving. Um, I think that's the way to do it, as transparent as possible. Yeah, and, and from my side, because um, we do very much play with um, digital systems and services, that, that, you know, don't be afraid to try tactical um, services. There's some great services out there at the moment that just manage landing pages and help you manage your inbound marketing that can be baked into your existing um, uh, website proposition. Lots of people think we need to start, literally, as I said at the beginning, baby out of the bathwater, it's all start again. And this is why this phrase that we've coined, when is it good enough, is so important. Sometimes you can't change the big things overnight. You're never going to. And yet, as you've just said, you do have immediate financial pressures and concerns. So using digital for what its, it's uh, strengths are now, with so many options out there on the market, is to employ the services of people who understand the different options and to use them to your advantage. So how, how is it that you, how do you guys stay up to date? What are your favorite uh, portals or, or references uh, to stay up to date with all these changing platforms and, and so on? What, give us some help on that. I might just answer this one because it's a particular problem. <laughs> so first of all, I get regular counseling from Richard. That's good. Uh, uh, the difficult do you, do you, thing you is, lie down, is... You lie down on the couch and he tells yeah, you, that's the, that's the good stuff. You always feel that you're out of uh, date. That's the difficulty in digital. And it, to be honest, uh, I think uh, people who work in the digital space are people that just love and embrace change. 
as you're all, be all too familiar with. Totally. Uh, but that fear before you go to bed at midnight of thinking, if I switch Twitter off now, <laughs> will I miss something that is so important? They change the course of the entire business in the face of all our clients where it is always there. But um, we actually find this is what goes so direct to the practical digital transformation of what we do. We work with a network of suppliers who, who are all um, top of their game. So we don't pretend to be experts in everything. We employ and recruit the services of people who are experts. And then in getting our hands dirty in delivering projects, we, we learn week in, week out, and we don't feel the need to have to do geek out in search or geek out in social or be the world's best data expert because we know those people are the end of the line that we can call. So building a really powerful uh, network of a support group, if you like, if you have a big digital transformation project to do, building your support group, thinking about how we're going to deliver it are all really big questions to ask right from the off. I love it. Fantastic, guys. Richard and Ian. Thanks for coming on the show. Tell us, uh, tell tell listeners how they can get in touch with you. What's the best way to follow you or track you down? Yeah, well, um, we're very active on uh, Twitter. Quite proud of our Twitter account, um, which is uh, Digi Coach House. Would have been Digital Coach House, but you know, Twitter doesn't let you have enough characters. Yeah, Fifteen characters max. <laughs> so, Digi Coach House is the place to be, um, and really, that's where we talk a lot about transformation in the practical side. Uh, if we're honest, we link a lot off to reputable sources, so um, it's not all about us. Yeah, it's curated. Yep. That's brilliant. Well, I'll, Chris, I'll put down uh, your contact details in the next show notes. And um, thanks, Richard and Ian. Appreciate you getting online this morning. Another radio show. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes, and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset, or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails.
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.